him always with the ringing of an alarm bell, faint and harmlessly far away, as if perhaps, after all, he had once been right, and now, in his half-examined life, he had fallen from the grace of self-judgment. Sometimes in the seminary at night he tried to imagine the prayers that were rising from those darkened rooms, not the communal worship of chapel or even the impromptu petitions at study meetings, but the night fears and confessions of men kneeling alone by their beds. Often he felt extraordinarily light and happy. It seemed to him that he had discovered the only meaningful life. Sometimes he felt he loved his fellow ordinands with their earnest smiles and confidences, their reticent ardor in workshops. He imagined compassion even in his teacher, whose rubicund jowls and bursting waistcoat contradicted the implacable rigor of his mind, and identified a discreet sweetness in the seminary principal who looked like an ancient boy. And he thought gratefully of his chosen friends, with their conflicting integrities. At such times they seemed all to be living in a charmed circle, a brotherhood of revelation and trust. It was easy to pray for them. These were the blessed nights. But there were other nights when a dark restlessness descended. After struggling with a piece of exegesis or a doctrinal essay, he would find himself rereading Bible texts without faith or consolation, trying to absolve God of everything he found inequitable. Then the surety of Vincent and Ross seemed far away. Obsessively, he would alight on those passages that had never featured in the comfortable parish sermons of his childhood, but which were here confronted head-on. Even the fate of the blasted fig tree or the gadarene swine could surface to unsettle him. Above all, he agonized over every gospel inconsistency, culminating in the differing accounts of the empty tomb, where the holy word seemed to contravene itself at its heart. Sometimes he wrestled with the texts far into the night. It was as if there was some chamber of divine grace that he could not enter, so he kept building intellectual edifices to resolve his misgivings. He fell into the sin of judging God. Sometimes, for comfort, he remembered the works of faith that had awed him as a youth, Bach's St. Matthew Passion, the great rose window of Chartres, and felt a fleeting reprieve. In the end, exhausted, he confronted his God in prayer. He lit a candle to obscure everything but the wooden cross beside his bed, and this shadowy concentration through the cross, the focus of all redemption and love, would start to calm him. He imagined his fellow ordinands kneeling likewise at this hour, and sensed their prayers massing in the night around him. His supplication and thanksgiving felt warm and answered in the candlelight. Often he whispered aloud, and the words took on a free-floating power. God was beating like a drum in his brain. This was the grace beyond which logic crumbled, the ferment of Christ caring for his flock against all reason, the Christ whom arguments could not wound. But then came confession. Its lonely self-scrutiny filled Stephen with despair. It had settled into a grinding cycle of contrition and repentance in the recurring wake of sin. He repented his scriptural doubts and his failure to love, his too great sensitivity towards himself, and the vanity of his unfocused ambition. He repented his harsh parting from his former girlfriend, 
and abjectly he repented that he masturbated remembering her, the lissom smoothness of her legs. He would caress himself in half-sleep, as if the deed were unconscious, and afterwards would fall into drowsy remorse. Once he dreamt strangely that he was making love to a woman on a summer hillside. Coppery butterflies rose from the shrubs and shimmered above their naked bodies, then alighted on her face, her breasts, as though enacting a private sacrament, and he awoke to wetness and the memory of ecstasy without sin and the after-scent of asphodel. Whenever he left the sanctum of the seminary, the world outside barely jarred on him. He detected God at work even in the ordinary country town nearby. The everyday had become the theatre of divine grace. Twice he was allocated weekend chaplaincies in a neighbouring parish, but he took his visions and anxieties with him and plagued the overworked vicar with questions that went unanswered.